0: Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. I'm producer and host, Linda Lombardo. It's been some time since we've broadcast as In the Soul's Waiting Room, and a lot has happened since. Since we last broadcast, Jeff, our original host of In the Soul's Waiting Room, is committed to other projects, so I'll be on the air for now. The political climate in America is a growing concern, with more and more persons of power attempting to separate us. Hateful words spoken without any signs of regret In fact, being championed by the leaders who instigate them. Charging these words into acts of violence against each other. Only the other day, another act of violence. Terrorism against a group of people only trying to live their lives. It seems as if our morality and our values are being challenged on a daily basis. The Keeper's been silent until now. Like Jeff in the first season, the other day, I just knew there was something or or someone that wanted to come through to the studio. I just knew that something wanted a voice. And so I'm here today, in the mystery of it all, waiting. You know, I'm reminded of the first time we met the Keeper in the studio. Both Jeff and I were skeptical that anything was about to happen. Now I wait expectantly knowing that something is about to happen.
1: How familiar this all feels. Keeper, hello. Oh, hello, Linda. I'm
0: glad you could make it. You know, I should tell you up front... Jeff
1: isn't in the studio, is he? Yes, I'm conscious of that. His path is taking him on a new journey.
0: Nicely put. Yes, yes it is. We all find ourselves on new journeys these days. I guess that's part of why you're here?
1: And you. About 50 or 60 of your Earth years ago, many souls came to the human realm with a collective purpose. The human crisis was finally going to be big enough... Challenging enough for many of those souls that don't often experience the human realm. They knew they'd be here and ready to take on a great turning of humanity.
0: So, what? Not intense enough for them just being human?
1: Ah, I sense the humor in that question. And not for these particular souls, no.
0: When you say great turning, are you talking about the great turning that many thought leaders write about? The shift from industry and technology to. Well, a, a life-sustaining culture and
1: civilization? Oh, well, yes, exactly that. For some of you, nothing short of a great turning would bring you here.
0: I'm going to let that pass, but not forgotten. Is that by design or choice, that souls who don't usually come to the human realm were eager to be here?
1: Oh, it's always by choice, and then by design.
0: <laughs> now, I see what Jeff meant when I told him we were having a conversation. Good luck with that, I believe, are his exact words and he really enjoyed his conversation with you i don't mean to imply that he did no
1: offense taken that would be a bit more human than even i choose to experience
0: <laughs> i'm reminded of a quote everything in your life reflects a choice you've made if you want a different result make a different choice
1: <laughs>
0: it's still about our stories
1: yes and more and it's why i'm here today
0: so we're here to talk about what the great turning stories?
1: Well I want to talk about stories and the disorientation that occurs when they aren't working, which yes it's all part of the great turning. You humans are in some sizable stories right now and all making choices that are worth discussing. But remember I only offer perspective about what's happening in the world today. I don't recommend and I don't plead and I don't bargain with humans. I simply offer perspective that requires a step back from involvement.
0: That takes some discernment on the part of us humans, Keeper. We're usually activated and too involved in the events that are taking place. And that isn't wrong. We're supposed to be involved, invested.
1: Well, how politely you frame it. I would have said shocked, enraged, exasperated. Maybe even that's too polite. Oh, great. We're going to be real. (laughs) Well, how could it be otherwise?
0: Okay, so how about we're being slowly poisoned from within our own government and can't seem to stop it even though we know we're dying, at least here in the U.S.
1: Oh, many more places than that. And yes, the honesty is refreshing. I'll suggest that it probably feels most disruptive to you because of how it's impacting your stories, which have remained relatively stable for longer than most stories around the planet. I can assure you it is impacting the entire human realm just as egregiously.
0: I'm going to let you set the context for this conversation then, if if you don't mind.
1: Oh, I don't mind at all. In fact, I'm eager to do just that. So let's begin with stories. You understand that a story is created around a set of beliefs, and in order for that story to grow to global proportions, you must all collude to support that story and retell it. Example? Well, since you're in the geographic region known as the U.S., let's use the example of what you call the American Dream, the ideal by which equality of opportunity is available to any American, allowing the highest aspirations and goals to be achieved. It was first written in your Declaration of Independence as a means to protect this dream. We hold these truths to be self-evident, and so on. Faith in a free market economy, acceptance of government protection of private enterprise, free trade agreements, and the belief that other nations should replicate America's development. In fact, the American dream legally protects every American's right to achieve their most precious potential. It's the belief, or story, that the best way to ensure national progress is to protect citizens' rights to improve their lives. How is that possible
0: when every right we have comes at a cost, either financially or emotionally?
1: Well, the poison, as you called it, Is using the American dream to aid and abet only the few?
0: Ah, those who wish to control a group larger than themselves.
1: Oh, you were paying attention. Always. The American dream is the charm of anticipated success. And those are not my words. They're the words of the 19th century French historian Alexis de Tocqueville in a book that he wrote titled Democracy in America.
0: Noted. And this charm of anticipated success also has woven into its story the fear of failure, I assume. If you can't achieve the American dream, you failed somehow.
1: Yes, and humans will do whatever it takes to achieve it. They'll place burdensome debt on themselves, they'll work themselves to death, and they'll fight for the right to keep it from others. Somewhere along the way, it stopped being for everyone.
0: When did that happen?
1: Well, having passive neighbors to your north and south certainly contributed.
0: What, Mexico and Canada?
1: Can you imagine Canada invading the United States?
0: I can't imagine why they would want to, no. Both countries have national pride in who they are. Why would they want to govern us or or even be like us?
1: Well, exactly. And their stories of national pride, as you call it, don't include a nationalism that would threaten you in any way.
0: And can we define nationalism, Keeper, since it's been used lately in the news?
1: Well, you define it as identification with one's own nation and interests, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interests of other nations. It's a sense of national consciousness, exalting one nation above all others. Intense nationalism is the cause of many wars among humans. So your American dream story is just that, a story. I see. An illusion, even.
0: What I know is that many, many people are disillusioned with that story. And I think there's two stories. One is this bigger story of a nation.
1: And there's more to say about that at some point.
0: Okay. All right. And, and the other is a personal story of individuals who, as you stated, see the perfect job, the big house, even their personal relationships is something that's needed in order to feel successful and are willing to do just about anything to achieve it because the alternative is unthinkable.
1: Ironically, you look at the humans who you identify as having made it, it being the house, the job, the relationship, the bank account, as success gods. And it's these human-made success gods who are selling you down the river. Hmm. Is that the expression, selling you down the river?
0: Yes. Yes, it is. It's an abhorrent expression that comes from a time of slavery in the U.S. And you've used it correctly. Keeper. What about a feeling of devotion to our nation and being a global citizen at the same time? Is that even possible?
1: Oh, nationalism and globalism can coexist, yes. But let me ask you, has your world ever experienced globalism as a species? Consider the challenges of your time, terrorism, climate change, immigration and refugee crises everywhere. Are you global or are you national? Now there's no answer required because it's clear from your actions.
0: Yeah, it's binary thinking, and it's also showing up with our right to gender identification and sexual preference, globally, not only here in the U.S.
1: Staying on track...
0: Oh, I'm sorry, I know, I've introduced another rabbit hole with that one.
1: (laughs) Staying on track, why would anyone not have the right to live out his or her dreams? And why must humanity as individuals be the charitable source of helping others to live out their dreams?
0: Well, that feels like another rabbit hole the idea of charities and endless campaigns to raise money for what is supposed to be every american's dream actually every human's dream and no disrespect intended to those organizations and individuals because it's all we've got right now it's the only story we've got
1: ah i like the conscious shift to story there
0: i still want to go back to my question about when did the american dream or, or at the very least, these truths we held as self-evident stopped being for everyone.
1: Well, there's something You I know, can... and they
0: never really were for everyone, were they? I mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but consider the fact that women weren't even considered. We had to fight for every right. We didn't get the vote until 1920. And the rights of those enslaved was used as a deal maker for the South even signing the Declaration. We have this disease or this dis-ease deep in our bones, Keeper.
1: I hear how it activates you, by the way. And yes, a dis-ease in your bones even before that, as you're well aware. And yet, well, there was a commitment to paper about an ideal, or a vision, and a legacy for future generations, as other generations have created their own declarations during the history of humanity. It was something.
0: Was, past tense.
1: It's only possible to keep an illusion in play for so long until it's really tested and you're being tested and finding the illusion in your stories. It doesn't mean that the stories don't have merit. They may be the basis of your, uh, what do you call it, morality and values. And yet there's no great turning without that disillusionment.
0: So we are where we are on purpose. In the goo of metamorphosis that you and Jeff talked about so often,
1: Oh, how I love that story, yes. The caterpillar, complicit in its own demise without questioning, without hesitation, just trusting the mystery of what is to come.
0: And how does that relate to humans? I get that we've been complicit in our own demise and the demise of the planet, consciously and unconsciously. And yet, we do question and hesitate. I don't know that we trust anyone or anything right now. It's our curse and our gift, this consciousness that we have.
1: Well, I want to add that there is something in the story of the American dream that implies life will just keep getting better and better. And like the word evolution, which doesn't mean better, by the way, simply a lasting adaptation to change. Better because it ensures survival, you understand. Humans are in a phase of adapting to change and in the mystery of how it will all turn out, just like a caterpillar, by the way. And this third-dimensional voice wants to add that the signs you're all receiving are so blatantly obvious that something is about to implode, and yet you're always shocked, posting and tweeting, holding on to your old stories for dear life.
0: I'm afraid to ask for an example of that one, Keeper.
1: Well, only recently, on the day of a massacre in a place you call Pittsburgh, the young soul that is the current U.S. president held a rally, at which was played a song titled, Happy... And I'll give you another example. This young soul also states on the record that if the constitution prevented him from doing one or two things, he chalked that up to bad luck. But when literally everything he wants to do is magically a violation of the constitution, that's very unfair and bad treatment by those who wrote the constitution. There is an Ionesco-like quality to the signs you're receiving. It's theater of the absurd. And you're all actors in the second act. Or perhaps it's still act one. You don't know what to do about any of it.
0: And so we continue to divide and separate, blame and be appalled. Let me ask you, besides voting, which we just did here in America, by the way, our midterms, what actions can we take? How can we stop it?
1: Well, it's not about stopping it. It's about changing it. To stop it would mean you rid yourself of the problem. You pick yourself up and keep going in the direction you were originally headed, or else adapt to the mess that you've been creating. It's too late for that, even if it's only the first act of an absurdist drama.
0: Let me rephrase that then, because I get what you're saying. How do we change it? We voted recently, and with that, we hope that we've elected more compassionate beings more conscious beings, representational of more of us, to hold a national and a global perspective that benefits all of us. And I mean all of us. And by doing so, we've at least shifted the energy of one of our legislative bodies here in the States. The House, for example. Over 100 diverse women as a result of our voting.
1: A dynamic start, for sure.
0: Yes. Yes, we need that in order to reestablish global self-evident truths our values, and whatever we want to call them, to include all beings and all rights, even the ones we don't agree with or who challenge our own beliefs. We need to be in a place of do no harm in our lawmaking and our governance. And yet, how do we rid ourselves of the problem, to use your words? What more can we do? Anything other than what conforms to our morality and our values, and we become the thing we say we despise. And that's just not an option. Getting a legislator or even a president out of office won't eliminate the humans that hold or encourage these beliefs, those who do harm to others.
1: So you've hit on the core issue in all that you've expressed just now. Your morality and values are part of your stories. One human holds these rights as self-evident in the context of his or her story. Another human holds them in the context of their story. What is self-evident to one isn't self-evident to the other. At least not in the same way all you humans can do is your own work your soul's purpose expressed in a human life purpose no system is going to change for you you must change your actions in order to create a different system not better although i hope it could be better that great turning towards a sustainable and compassionate civilization that we spoke of and i must point out that what you identified as the problem Is in direct conflict to saying that you want to include all beings and all rights even the ones you don't agree with or those that challenge your own beliefs.
0: I need a moment.
1: Oh by all means.
0: It really is theater of the absurd.
1: Well think beyond the absurd if you can. Okay
0: three words. I beg your pardon? There were three important words in what I expressed that create context for everything else. Do no harm. Do no harm. Also open to interpretation, I know. And yet we've got to start somewhere. When we talk about self-evident truths, the interpretation has to be to do no harm. I realize even as I say that, that it creates conflict in me. And yet it seems to be where we need to look in ourselves to understand what we truly believe in. Do we live in a world of scarcity? If that's what we believe in, then, then there will never be enough for me if you're allowed to have some of what I want. If we live in a world of supremacy, then someone must always be lesser than me. And conversely, someone must always be better than me. You realize that what you suggest requires a do-over, a reinvention of
1: everything. Mm, perhaps apocalyptic well seriously you and jeff you're always thinking the worst (laughs) i can neither confirm nor deny how a do-over might take place it begins with what i offer as a perspective each of you changing your actions in order to create a different system if you're only in act one of this absurdist drama there's still two more acts to go before anyone gets to leave the theater
0: that's still oddly unsettling keeper
1: Uh, Yes, I see how it would be. All seven billion of you humans trying to design even a general living systems theory. That might be more than you're able to bring to fruition at this stage of your development. Now there is one more thing I'd like to offer before suggesting something for future conversations. Okay. So there's a great many young souls in politics these days. And Jeff and I talked about that, you remember? Yes, I do. I remember. There are some very powerful young souls in politics these days. Young souls are here to learn about their power and their impact. And they're also here to learn their limits.
0: I do recall that conversation. And you said something about Hitler and the fact that there were not enough souls to stop him. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Well, I might restructure that to say that there were not enough souls to teach that young soul the limits of its power as a human. But that's not the case today. Meaning? Well, meaning that those of you who've come here to be part of this great turning, even if it's earliest stages, have the power to teach a young soul its limits. Not by acting as young souls yourself. That would only teach the young soul that it was able to impact and influence you to be more like itself. No, not like that at all. Only by acting in your wisdom, your experience, and your purpose, a do-no-harm self-evident truth, if you will.
0: So it's up to us. Always. And we could do it in a way that keeps our values and morality intact.
1: Most definitely.
0: And the collateral damage?
1: Well, there's that. All in contract with soul's purpose, no matter how you grieve as humans. Jeff never quite wanted that one to be true. And some things are true, whether you believe them or not.
0: So how do we do that? How does acting in our wisdom, experience, and purpose change things?
1: Oh, the way will reveal itself. It's at work as we speak. What, Mahler? The way will reveal itself.
0: Oh, that's so exasperating. Many of us are at our wits' end,
1: Keeper. Well, then consider changing your behavior. I mean, not you personally, humanity. Replace astonishment with expectation. Why is it a surprise that this young soul continues to act completely in character? which, by the way, you all did when you were young souls, just not to the extent of this one, replace exasperation with knowing that there are enough of you here to change things as long as you will all act. To do otherwise is really the absurdity, that you are all helpless. Absurd.
0: Even our elected officials seem to be helpless right now.
1: But that's because they are not the ones who must act. Their collusion in this story, as souls and as humans, is designed to activate you, well, humanity. Isn't it obvious?
0: You know, I I guess many of us are stuck in astonishment and exasperation.
1: Well, don't let that be your new story. You can see how easily it could be, can't you? Yes, yes, I can. Is there anything else? Well, I'd like this time we allocate together to be productive time. Perhaps I could offer some topics for our conversations that might help the listeners build their own consciousness and get unstuck, if that's in their purpose to do so, of course.
0: And what would those topics be, for for example?
1: Well, beginning to think like an ecosystem, for one. Nothing we've talked about today exists in isolation. And perhaps we could talk about how to consciously disrupt a system, those old stories, as wise, mature souls, not young, reckless ones. Rather than being shocked by the disruptors, always on the receiving end of disruption, we could talk about how to become one for the sake of a healthy living system. And not a fearful response, I want to add, conscious, healthy disruption.
0: I like where this is going.
1: And maybe there's still a need for some mystery in what's to come. So that's all I'll say for now.
0: We could always use some good mystery, Keeper. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. I hope this has been as intriguing for you as it was for me. And more to come. This is Voice of Evolution Radio and in the soul's waiting room. Season two, it seems. Until next time, please go out and create conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate.